This is the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the bullwhip crack like this. Let's begin now. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. We are continuing our reading of the Lost Ark series with this one. This is the discussion that we had after reading the second part, kind of arbitrary, really, what we chose to start with and end with. Well, we picked up where we left off, but we just got tired of reading after about two hours of doing it. So you're about to hear the discussion that was had after that second meeting and reading. Again, it's going to just kind of pick up mid-sentence and end almost the same way. Hope you enjoyed the discussion and come back for more reading of The Lost Ark. Just flowing out of George Lucas's bosom. He seems like a fucking idiot. But coming <laughs> up with, but he does come up with really cool things in the process. And Spielberg's ideas all seem to be sucky. Well, but he seems to keep George on track. The one thing that neither guy did was say George quit worrying about the fucking movement of the earth and the sun over the last 3000 years. They get so caught up in that, like, well, it's the eyes of March and it used to be in December. And now that part is really boring. And it's several pages. Wow. Oh God. You know, what What? is funny? What I'm thinking about is one time I interviewed Mick Garris and he was talking about working on amazing stories with uh, Spielberg. He said he just dripped with ideas. He would just walk into the room, just come up with 10 things that were all brilliant and worked. But I'm not really getting that through this. Maybe it's because George doesn't let him talk. I guess as someone who watched all the Indiana Jones movies and know that both of their names are attached, but one is clearly the director and one is a story by idea by George Lucas is the one who seems to be caught up in the details. And Steven Spielberg is like thousand yard viewing everything. And then, like you said, Andy, George Lucas is like, what about the sun on the Ides of March? It's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Actually, nobody cares about this. <laughs> it is interesting. Maybe that's how all these guys worked. As you look at, like, older guys, like, obviously Spielberg just came in and just took over that mostly. And you could tell when you look at it, it's a Spielberg movie. And although he's doing kind of the opposite on this one, it's fascinating. Well, and what's weird is they didn't do this for anything else, did they? They only did this for Raiders. They didn't do this for Temple of Doom or Last Crusade, right? No, there's a lot of ideas in here. The whole going to Shanghai and the warlord the and all that kind of stuff. Kid. Pickpocket kid. There's the thing I think we talked about last time about the plane that's crashing and the, the, the raft that they use. Yeah, the toboggan. It's like, we're going to take all the bad ideas and save them for the second movie. <laughs> I actually, the other thing that I really appreciated on this recording that we did today was them getting so bogged down in the stupid fucking staff and the temple room. The minutia. Water. Right. And they never came up with the, and go back one Hadam for the, in honor of the God whose Ark this is. Right. we're, We're getting so close and we've got, they spent so much time on those fucking dates, man. The, and the turban, the turban monkey, the monkey George wearing a turban. Dates, won't, dates aren't really that good. Like, the one part is, it has to be olives. It has to be, it has olives. To be olives, yeah. When so they can bounce olives, around the room. Right. <laughs> right. Very bouncy. It seems like Larry is just in the room. I don't know. 
just sitting there is what it kind of feels like. I mean, this like, is the George show. This is really the George show. That's what it feels like. Yeah. It's his thing to talk about the thing when he's doing the thing. That's the like strange thing about all of this. My The biggest takeaway is how much of this was George Lucas's idea. Right. I would say 70% of everything that is Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark is almost coming from sprouting yeah. from his head. Like, I'd say God. maybe more, really. Yeah. Spiel- Spielberg's ideas are more just like refinement of the thing. And I'm right. shocked or by how jokes. little he talks. Considering he's Spielberg, we think of him as this big, it's just, it's all Lucas. Spielberg, there are pages where Spielberg doesn't talk. There's pages where nobody talks, but George Lucas. I feel like Spielberg's job is to keep George on the rails a little bit, but he doesn't necessarily do that all the time. And I think that's because a lot of the stuff that George is coming up with is not bad. It's like stuff that just almost entirely ends up in the movie. Aside from instead of olives, it's dates. And in the whole thing with the staff, it's they you the staff is really making me mad. Because they like where it ends up is for me, it wouldn't have felt like that would have been that hard of a puzzle to unwind. But they're like getting really like bogged down. Again, they're so close. Like they came up by this time they have the idea of the piece burning the guy's hand and i'm like okay but it doesn't say anything about the height of the staff on that the whole like the one and the four the two pieces being separate is like no just the headpiece needs to just be a headpiece and the staff just needs to be a piece of wood and the headpiece will tell you how big the piece of wood needs to be it's like they're so close they're so close it's neat to watch the evolution and how close they are to so many things that we consider to be these great ideas from Raiders and they're just like oh yeah dates bad dates why did it have to be George Lucas says why did it have to be why did it just snakes I love sitting that. there like f- fuck of all the things quoted from Raiders of the Lost Ark that's in the top three or four lines and right. George Lucas is like yeah why did it have to be snakes this is God a guy that's famous for wooden dialogue but he just popped out with that piece of dialogue I know and I think that for me is the other kind of weird thing is that Lucas doesn't really seem to have a very good wrangle on characters now with the prequel trilogy coming out that was one of the big things like you mentioned andy is the wooden dialogue right i would say lucas does not have a good wrangle on characters even now like he has the broad ideas but like broadly defined characters you can't do five movies about those characters because a broadly defined character can only work in one movie on its own if you start digging into things like he did with anakin and everything else you start to lose a lot of it because it's he doesn't understand how to do narrow char- like smaller character moments. He doesn't understand how to do it. It takes him a while before he's like, oh, now I should focus in on this one little thing. And then by focusing on the one little thing, here you're working out all the story points. But if you focus on that one little thing, two movies in, then all of a sudden you start fucking around with your own continuity. And it's like, let's get all the continuity out here rather than just keep working on it while we're making the movie. I wish they had worked on more things together as far as, as they seem like a good, like Spielberg and Lucas seem to complement each other's weaknesses. You know what I mean? Because like Spielberg, when left to his own, I mean, yeah, you've got your, your, your ones that are your outliers like Schindler's List, but when left to his own devices, he's going to end up with something like happy and happy ending and cheesy and a bit schmaltzy. And I like Spielberg, but and then Lucas, his dialogue mostly is shit. So if, and Kazdan is the unsung hero here. Yeah. To take all this stuff and refine it. And I don't know how many of these times he's asking questions to just 
clarify or if he's just if he's actually missing things because it is funny how they will start something and then jump to something else and then come back to it and then redefine even when it's oh there should be no snakes at the beginning it should just be spiders it's, oh okay we're gonna go all the way back to the beginning of the movie for a hot second and put that detail in there but i think that also speaks to who the three of them are being conscientious and conscious of that like not letting there be this because that would be a massive plot hole if they left it in there the other way but they're like no we can't do that at the beginning they haven't said the thing about i mean they lucas said oh maybe we should have it played for laughs which it totally is at the beginning of the movie which again like just lord just pop these ideas just popping out of george lucas's head maybe it's not that big of a deal but I'm glad now that they've got Belloc as the Frenchman and they have yet to get the whole the speech about the watch and that you buried in the sand for a thousand years and suddenly becomes this valuable artifact. I am glad they're starting to get close to Sala, like having him split into basically three characters right now. He's the he's short round, he's Marcus Brody a little bit, and he's Sala the digger. It is interesting. Thought, I had never thought I had never put two and two together that the Brody character is that with the one that they're talking about. Yeah, he's just in the desert for no reason. But here's the thing: like, if I think about Indiana Jones as a movie, that totally could have worked. Having a character that he knows in as obviously with Sala, but a more erudite character in the wild would have been an interesting. And what it would have been interesting is if that erudite character turned out to be the villain which would have been an interesting twist because it would have been like, you were figuring this out together, but then in that scene where he's dumped into the tomb, they could have had that be the reveal that it's his friend all along, which is kind of like they were verging on and then they like took a step back from it is what it felt like. I like that Salah can play the goofball, like when he's just, oh yes, sir, I will help you get more breakfast, all those kind of things. But then he's actually really super smart and that he like when he gets so serious and is like bad dates, that's yeah, what it's like. Gonna... Oh, yeah. You're just like, man, this guy, he knows what time it is that he's the one that saves Indy. It's, oh, yeah, you're really good. And that's and we see that because it's literally three different characters split into one character that's being split. Yeah, I guess they, it's weird that they create Sala from three characters and then they still have two of those characters in the movie. But then they turn Sala into an idiot in the third movie. They just take away all of the erudite former colleague type stuff and just be like, oh, he's an idiot and Marcus Brody's an idiot as well. He gets lost in his own museum. Which for me was the biggest bummer about that character in the third movie. Because in the first movie, he's just like, oh man, I wish I could go with you because I, I would really tear shit up. This is probably how... A little bit mm -hmm. of wish fulfillment for Marcus, but also like he's a little bit of a badass. As opposed to the bumbling idiot. But then they give all of the good things of Sala and Brody to Indiana Henry. Jones' dad. Yeah. So they just give it to his dad instead, which, look, everybody has their own opinion on their feelings on all three movies. I still like the third one. I know that's a jokey problem for a lot of people. But the moments between Indiana Jones and his dad are good. Yeah, a lot of people love that movie. I just have some problems. I like with it. The I just beginning. Don't, that's it. I like it. I just don't think it's good. But I like it. The problem is when Raiders of the Lost Ark is the first movie in that trilogy. Like, what the fuck are you supposed to do? Like, there's nothing. As much as I like Temple of Doom, which it's my favorite of the three, it well, like it came I, out at an important time in my life, so it was a big deal, and I had the poster and all that shit. But it's it's really not that great when you break it down when you're looking at the series. 
the first one is still the best one. I, as someone, like I said, as someone who likes the second one immensely, I still have to like, like turn the floor over to understand like the first one is the best one, period. The first one is a perfect movie. The first one is one of the best movies ever made from a number of standpoints. But then you have to ask yourself, is all of this stuff, all of the things that we just read, is that why this is such a good movie? Because they have hashed out all of these things and they've gone through the minute details, picking things apart, themselves picking things apart, questioning each other, and just really just nailing this stuff down and still just circling all these ideas. Like still right now, as we're reading, Abner Ravenwood is dead and he's been dead for five years. So there's no telegraph from the desert and this whole tie to, to Indy's past. Like, Having Abner come back would have been an interesting thing at some point, because we never know what ends up happening with Ravenwood. It's hinted that maybe he's not dead. They say he disappeared. They never said that they found him. I believe that's what she says in the movie, something to that effect. And there was always rumblings that they were going to bring him back in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. At that point, he's a million years old. Too dead, right. Too dead to be Although alive. Although the timeline is so screwy on those two, the way they jump back and forth. And at least one of the ideas, the thrown out ideas here was not the, uh, that they reuse later on was the refrigerator thing. Like they did, you know, it'd be great. He's trying to get out of the water and there's a refrigerator and he gets in it and it saves him. And uh, I was having a hard time understanding what the fuck they were talking about with the beam and the flotsam and the jetsam. And it's like, oh, there's got to be an easier way to do this. And it turns out it's just a column knocking a wall over funny is even when one of them is talking nonsense and it's usually george they all get it like they're all speaking the same language you know what i mean like they get each they're all on the same wavelength i think that's interesting god i would love to have a video of this as well just because as they're talking about and then this thing over here and this thing over here and i'm just like okay are they pointing to something do they have a drawing of this stuff Probably. yeah or are they just using their hands to talk do they have props it's so weird to think about what was going on in that room. And it's crazy to think that they're essentially like quick storyboarding or quick coming up with plot points for the other movies. They don't even realize it yet. The whole Chinese warlord thing, that's from the beginning of Temple of Doom, abbreviated more so but than that they're talking that kind of makes about. me wonder if they spent less time putting those together. The fact that so much of it is just shit from this one thrown into those. But They're making a pan sauce. They have the steak here. And then the Temple of Doom is just a panza. We have all these other fucking ideas. Now that you realize it's just like the scraps like pinned together. But Temple of Doom is still a good movie. Last Crusade, even if you don't like it, it's like more competently made movie than most movies are made. But my God, just like, oh yeah, war Chinese warlord. Man, you guys are struggling here. But then they end up in Asia anyways because they're in the Himalayas. So it's, it's just like one step to the left. Unless we read differently... It's like the first 30 minutes of Temple of Doom have been in these discussions. Once they start talking about the Shankar stones and Kali and all that kind of stuff. The toboggan and stuff? Yeah. The toboggan, all that. But then once you get to, okay, and then they have dinner with these British diplomats or whatever it is. It's just, oh, this is a whole different movie. This is not what they discussed. I would even contend it's that moment where... The raft comes into India and they see the guy standing at the edge of the river. That's like now, now it's just, now it's this different idea because that initial idea really doesn't do anything for that movie. It just, that's like a 25 minute cold open, frankly. It's, yeah. It's your bond opening basically. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it just happens to go two scenes longer than a bond open does. Cause normally it would end at that 
them jumping out the window and it, but then it's got the chase through this. And I like that, but seeing that now it's like, man, they already had the idea there. Like it was already, they just hadn't put it in a club yet. They were like, he's going to interact with the warlord and something's going to happen. These movies came out when I was young and now I see things in a different way. I'm sure we all do. The fact that one of the things that makes Indy great is that he has vulnerabilities, but he's not like this iron, like even James Bond doesn't have a lot of vulnerabilities. You have the one, you Women. know, well, yeah, but that's, well, I guess the lazy, that's, it. that's the laziness of that character in a lot. And the one where he gets married on her majesty's secret service. And I mean, that that's a vulnerability obviously, but, but I just like it that Indy has so many vulnerabilities like the, he was going to die. Sala just happened to be there to save him. 